The Portland Insight Meditation Center is located in southeast Portland, Oregon. Robert Beatty has been the guiding teacher there since 1978. For more information and to access many more teachings available online, please visit portlandinsight.org. The path of bringing into being or keeping, keeping them restrained, bringing into being wholesome states, and then once they're in being, keeping them going. Mindfulness and concentration are two core, fundamental, wholesome qualities that are worth cultivating. And we can very simply use mindfulness of in-breathing and out-breathing. Perfect exercises for strengthening concentration, the ability to stay with one object and not waver, and mindfulness, the capacity of knowing what is happening. It can be such a sweet coming home and becomes that after a while. Breathing in and breathing out. Each breath similar to the one before, but not identical. And you'll notice it doesn't take any thinking. It doesn't take any analysis to abide in the sensations of breathing. It's just what's happening.
when one wants to travel through the deep forest or uncharted ocean, one sets a course. You use a compass, a gyro compass, a global positioning device. This is the direction I want to go. Choosing that direction makes any changing from that direction visible. And it's the same with the intention to be awake to everything that is. We chart a course. My intention for this while is to be resident, to be in, to be awake and present in the actual experience of breathing in and breathing out, which exists only now. And that then makes visible the five hindrances, the desires and the resi resistances and resentments, disliking. It makes visible restlessness, agitation and worry and doubt and sloth and torpor. It helps awareness develop of the emotions In fact, the entirety of this that we each take to be I, me, and mine is moment by moment illuminated and its impersonality becomes more obvious. Of course, a lot of what we encounter is our personality our unfinishedness, the results of our traumas, our emotional nature. We don't have to get rid of any of that. It's all naturally arising and passing away. And so we begin choosing moments of seeing it and letting it go and letting it extinguish, whatever it is. Coming home again and again and again to the actual sensations of breathing. It is our pathway home. Come home to breathing in to these sensations right now and breathing out. Very kindly, gently, no violence.
one of the discoveries that comes more and more clear is that there really is only now. There is the now of this moment of inbreathing now. There's the now of this moment of outbreathing. There's the now of this pain in the body or this pleasure in the body. And it's not that it's a metaphor, it's that all that exists is now. The past and future exist as ideas, but they exist in the mind now. This is part of how it is so restful. Even though it feels like work, it is so restful to sit in meditation. Because we can let down all the effort to make things be different than they are. In attending to breathing, we can become with great gentleness more and more precise, more thorough, more intimate. What is that moment where the breath begins? Is it noticeable? What happens when I somehow become more and more intimate with the rising of the chest and abdomen or the sensations at the nostrils? Not to get something, but to simply be oriented.
There comes a moment when breathing in is reaching completion. And there's deceleration. Can you notice that? And we can be intimate with the decline of the breath. All of this as a training strategy for honing the precision and sharpness of mindfulness and concentration and the other mental, wholesome mental factors. Again and again, we awaken in the present moment.
this moment is like this. It's become kind of a cliche, it's like this. But in this context, it is a radical statement. So this is how it is to sit here in the company of my friends on this Sunday morning. It's like this. We awaken endlessly or countless times in the midst of a thought or a mood. We have an opportunity to restrain it, to not feed it, to let it starve. So the five hindrances, desire, aversion, restlessness, agitation, worry, sloth and torpor, dullness and doubt, they all arise at their appointed moments. But then if we don't respond to them, they pass away.
What is the nature of your experience right now? In particular, the mind, is it calm and quiet or restless and agitated or somewhere in between? Is it very curious about the meditation object, the breath and other phenomena, or is it bored? Resting back into this moment. Examining the large view where there is awareness and in awareness that there exists the entire body. Feet, legs, hands, back, face. And then there's the realm of the mind of thoughts, emotions, memories, plans. Lots happening there too, perhaps, maybe a little. Maybe this is a moment of great ease and concentration. Delight in that. Or maybe there's a song running around in your head that won't stop or some obsessive worry. There is an end to all obsessions. Our task, our capacity is to speed that process along. There might be some scent, residual taste. We each sit here at the absolute center of the universe, our universe. Let us set ourselves free from identifying with the details. And please now let us notice any stiffness, any tightness in the body. And then notice the intention and then let ourselves stretch. Let the body stretch a bit, very slowly, paying close attention to sensations.
Let's let go of the notion that meditation is something that I do when I'm sitting on my pillow in my meditation room. Meditation is something as in the poem at the beginning that we do at every moment. Walking into the grocery store, mindful. Putting the toast in the toaster, mindful. Taking out the trash, mindful walking. Turning on the computer, mindful. And now please let us become aware of the eyes and their beautiful smooth sockets. And then do the work of opening them, noticing it does take some effort to lift the eyelids. And then something pretty cool happens, seeing. Hmm. Little postage stamps filled with people that I mostly recognize. And that recognition comes in the form of quick snippets of memory, of interaction, of, or seeing here. Entering into our relationships more and more mindfully, more and more recognizing the preciousness of them. Because they are all absolutely impermanent. I guess I'll do the announcements. I get tired of the announcements. But you do too, I'll bet. But they're important. Later this month, I'll let Jim, Jim, Jim give you the date. He's doing a, a Qigong retreat. And on the 1st of August, um, Candle Summers and I am introducing Summers to PIMC. So she did one morning already, uh, doing a, a little more, a half day retreat, basically, uh, sitting and walking and some, some uh, sort of traditional teachings from the Buddha, from Candle. And um, I want to invite you to practice your, your delicious capacity of generosity and to, um, to reflect upon the importance of these broadcasts. And I hear, I hear so many people say how, how much they're useful to them. And to consider participating in the financial well-being of PIMC 
which you can do by going to the website and finding the link for this Sunday morning if you want to earmark it specifically for that. Um, all the money is pooled. It doesn't, that which is donated for this isn't somehow reserved for this, but it does help us to know where the viewership and donations are coming from. I'm not exactly sure how it helps us, but that's what they say. <laughs> I am not a bookkeeper or an accountant. That is not my thing. <laughs> um, anyway, you can have fun with generosity. Oh, I had, a, I had a lovely generosity moment yesterday I can share with you. I, I was coming out of Fred Meyer and uh, I had just bought takeout food next door at the Giro High Hero to go. I spent, what? $20 on takeout food. And, and this very disheveled, looked like he just got, I don't know, he was dirty and, and uh, he, he spoke almost no English. And he let me know he was from Vietnam and uh, that touched me. And uh, I told him I don't have any cash. And he said, ATM and pointed at the ATM. <laughs> And I, uh, I said, okay. And I went and he, he pointed at $40. And I said, okay. And he took that, he was so happy. And I don't know, he was pretty run down. He probably went off and drank most of it. I don't know, but that's not my issue. My issue is, can I share? And and what delight. I mean, now I'm thinking of it again. I feel a little teary. And here's this little guy, short, very worn, like old for his years. Um, and whatever the case, he got some of what he wanted or needed for that few hours right then. And it didn't, didn't affect me. I just spent $20 on dinner. And uh, there's, there's so many opportunities that come along. And I could have, I could have said, no, you can't have $40. You could have five, but why not? Now, of course, not everyone is in that, has that capability. You know, it might've been, might've been $5 would have been a lot. Then give your $5 or none, even just paying attention to the person saying, I'm sorry, I can't. That's also a gift. So this practice of generosity is really important and really fun. There's so many ways to, to, uh, to, open, to open this frightened, tight little fist. And, and in these times, things, the, uh, the, the true uncertainty of things is more apparent to us. And uh, it's helpful to me to be uh, practicing and being generous. So I invite you to visit the website and become a monthly donor. Uh, particularly that really is helpful because then we can count on that. And <laughs> I really do hope there's a day when we get to open again. In fact, I, I'm toying with the idea of a Sunday morning, one of these, uh, going ahead of time and and putting little measuring out and putting little bits of lime or somehow marking the grass and doing a meeting in the yard at PIMC. So maybe we'll do that when the weather gets a little more stable. Okay, I'm going to bow out, give Jim the helm.
Mention the date of your class, Jim. Yes, my uh, Qigong workshop is on the 18th of July, the third week, the third Saturday of the month. I'm, I'm trying to keep to that rhythm and uh, make it a little more predictable. So if you'd like to join me for a uh, little mindful movement, question might come up, why do we spend time with this uh, mindful movement as part of our practice? <clears throat> it's part of the transition from moving from formal sitting to whatever action we take uh, following our coming together here, whatever uh, our next step is, uh, it <clears throat> is going to involve a relationship with our body. You know, we're going to be walking or driving or eating or whatever, sitting and reading. Uh, but what what is our relationship with our body? And when when that when we're not mindful of that relationship, often stress develops. So we need a dipstick to figure out, you know, what's our relationship with our body right now. So we could start with the upper part of the body and turn the chin over to one shoulder, bring it down to the chest, and then over to the other shoulder. And is there a lot of tightness? We, we just bring our attention to the, to the movement across from one side to the other. Is there resistance? Is there a little achiness? Is there stiffness? Or is it really smooth and open? So our relationship to our body may have been uh, restricted by the notion of sitting absolutely still for meditation for 40 minutes. Uh, and that may have unconsciously created some tension. Now we loosen that up, lifting the chin and dropping it down. Is there resistance in those muscles, in those uh, tendons, in the vertebrae? Now we move very slowly because that's part of our relationship with our body. We're pushing it a lot most of the day, uh, getting it here and getting it there and getting it to do what we want uh, on a more superficial level of our desires. But we want to pause and recognize the service that this body is doing and bringing mindfulness and love to uh, reaching out with one arm and, and, and just extending it and realizing how many muscles and bones and tendons go into a simple reach. And, and then with the other hand, reach out. But to bring some relief and some uh, enlivenment to this, we could turn it into a little game and do some dog paddling then feel how the hips got into it. As the hand moves forward, the hips turn. And then as the hips turn, the feet change their relationship with the floor below us. So just creating a game, we can create a flow of relaxation and be aware of all the different places the body is saying thank you 
oh yeah, I can stretch the shoulder. Now, then relaxing for a second, we can <clears throat> turn the palms forward and bend the elbows and, and just and drop down and just imagine all of the, uh, of the tendons and nerves and muscles that cooperate. But, but turn your attention inward and feel that. Feel that flow, the, the, uh, the resistance to gravity when you lift, just bending the elbows with open hands and then dropping them. Then <clears throat> bending the elbows, turning the hands, pushing, reaching up, and moving out. So all of these sensations get grouped together into a routine. Bending the elbows, turning the wrists, extending the palms, lifting the palms, turning the palms out, and uh, can you stay with the feeling in the hands as you lift, twist, push, turn, lift, up. Again, elbows bend, wrists, the tension's on the wrist. Press, feel the heel of your hand, feel the tendons that support your fingers pointing up. Turn the palms so the fingers are pointing in and there's new sensations. Lift, press out and just relax down. Feeling that release, 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 release. Then gravity absorbs the weight of your arms and gently pulls from the shoulder sockets. Your hands are heavy. There's sensations of real softness and release. And then agency, activation, turning the palms forward, lifting, twisting. Pressing, turning, lifting, pressing. Hold for a second and press and press and press. All, all the sensations that support that idea and then release. Lift, turning, pressing, turning inward, lifting, Pausing. Don't press, just release down, a little bit down. Different sensations. Press and then release. Coming to stillness. We can lift the hands and face the palms upward as if we're holding two platters. They may have. Uh, a cheese spread or <laughs> cookies <laughs> or some vegan treat on these two platters and just turn and feel the sensations in the spine. Feel the sensations across the palm of the hands. We have the intention to keep the hands steady and not let these imaginary plates tip. 
and that pulls certain tendons and ligaments in a certain way. Then we throw that idea out, just drop that idea, turn the palms down, and turn. Whole new set of sensations. The palms feel very different facing down because they pull tendons in a different way, but the spine is still activated. The hip has to come back on one side and release forward on the other in order to get a good twist. The feet are planted in the earth. There's sensations in the toes, in the heels, in the instep, up the uh, calf muscles and the shin bone, and then pausing and dropping the hands. We can turn again without the arms extended at all, and it's a subtly different operation. It's a flow again. The hips have to pull and push. We can go back to the shibashi thing where we push with one hand, pull in and push with the other hand and create a flow this way. All the different sensations in the shoulder socket and the shoulder blade in the back, the wrists as we turn, we extend and turn, pushing forward. All up and down the spine, there's subtle adjustments along all the different vertebrae. And then coming to stillness, dropping the hands, surrendering to gravity, soft knees, soft shoulders, chin level, With no gestures, there's still a flow of sensation. This living organism. So our relationship now with the body is having brought mindfulness to it and all the possible ways the spine or the hips could be constricted and holding. We've created a flow to relax all those muscles. And they're saying, thank you. Sink, open to the side, come down, feel that sense of agency, gathering experience on the sensation level, paying attention to the mood, the openness, the energizing factors, the relaxing factors of a simple circle with one arm and then the other. Moving down the center, opening two circles to the side, coming down the center, those round, soft movements create a new relationship with the body. And the body says, thank you. Stillness, but aliveness, a river of sensation. So July... 18th, we'll play games like that <laughs> and then sit and then listen to poetry and talk about the changing of the moods and the new ideas and the gestures and 
and relaxing and letting the uh, relationship with the body become foremost to see what happens when you practice that from nine o'clock till one o'clock. So thank you for your attention. Hope to see you on the 18th, whatever it was, 17th, 18th. I just went blank. 18th. Thank you. Bye-bye. I'm having to do a little adjusting because I turned the computer screen around to face the YouTube camera. And it'll be better now, I think. We were simply moving our hands, but it got so complicated with all these cameras and microphones. <laughs> Yeah. There. Well, All right. It's a little, a little far on this. There. Well, thank you, Jim. Alrighty. I'd like to, I want to ask, oh, I'll put my glasses down over here. What happens when I do this? Did that do anything? Jim? Well, I'm not sure what we're... Uh, did anything doing. change when I did that? No. I did In terms of sound or vision? Or? Visual, visual. No. Okay. I don't think so. I think I'm going to do the... Cancel that. Okay. Okay. There's a picture that I want to have, and I um, want to take the moment it will take to find it. I thought I had it, and then it vanished. Isn't it nice that we don't have to become 
impatient, as they call it, because of it not being all set right away. There it is. Good. All right. Now, let me just see. Okay. Good. want to thank, first off, I want to thank you for being here. Uh, this wouldn't happen without you. I wouldn't get to play this role without you. Um, and it's an extraordinary privilege to get to play this role. And I understand the role to be, to remind us what's important, to remind us about the Dharma, to share with you what I understand about what's really important. Some of you may not have heard the, I've got a lot of stories about Ruth Dennison, several of them that are very poignant and I repeat with some frequency. One is um, in 1978, I th uh, 80, 80, 80 something, uh, when <clears throat> Ruth Denison surprised me with a Dharma transmission ceremony at Brighton Bush. And uh, we were in the middle of the circle and she was a great ceremonialist. She could make a ceremony out of, out of anything. And I need to let the dog out. She's making that particular sound which says better let her out. That's not what Ruth said. All right, Donnie. How'd you go? There. Anyway, Ruth pulled me close during the ceremony and said with some intensity, don't think this makes you better than anybody else. All this means is you have to practice twice as hard as any of your students and do your best to keep your ethical trip together. And I think of that as the secret teaching. Right? And there was another time some years later when <clears throat> she came to Portland and uh, there were maybe 35 people there. And we were all sitting on the floor and she was walking around patting our heads and doing her Ruth thing. And uh, one of the women asked her, why did you choose Robert? to be a teacher. And she came over and patted my head and said, well, it wasn't because of any great spiritual attainment, but he loves the Dharma. And I knew he would grow into the role. 
And that's really beautiful, I think. And that's, I think that's true. That's true for us. It's not about spiritual attainment. It's about devotion to what's really important and learning to love each other and ourselves. And I have another thank you, which is to Ajahn Sumedho, who, if you've not encountered him, oh, look, I think there must be stuff on YouTube. Um, but he's maybe my favorite living teacher right now. And there's, a, there's his collected works exist. They put them together at Abayagiri. Uh, if you looked up uh, John Somedo collected works, and they'll send them to you uh, for a donation or for free. And it's five volumes of his writing. And you can enter it anywhere. And just read him. It's incredibly nourishing. And the thing I want to really thank him for was, is when he gave Dharma talks when I was around with him a little bit, he didn't hesitate to pause. He stopped on retreats sometimes when he was giving Dharma talks, he would stop for five or 10 minutes. And it's, it's an antidote to the, this is a performance and it has to be really polished and there better not be any, any screw ups in the audio visual and um, and there's a certain tyranny of that now. And that's in every sphere of our lives. You know, if you don't play a song like the person who originally played it with all their, or sing a song or have the voice of somebody or other, then you need to be ashamed to, to play in public, to be musical in public or to perform a poem in public or because we're, we're supposed to be so perfect, so polished, as opposed to just ordinary humans. So I wanted to thank Achan Sumedho. So I started today with a, that quote from my friend Eric Kolvig, that samsara is broken and there's no fixing it. I spent a little while this morning, I exposed myself to the news. Through the lens of the news, things are bad. And they're getting worse. COVID's going nuts here in the US. Our political system is completely crazy. And I, I know through my role and my friendships, I know of people who are being hospitalized today and uh, I have a relative who was just diagnosed with inoperable um, liver cancer. 
dukkha, birth, sickness, old age, decay, death. Having experiences you don't want to have, not having experiences you do want to have, being with people you don't want to be with, not being with the person you want to be with. It's easy to kind of glibly rush through those, but to think of them for a moment. Birth, suffering, sickness, old age, <laughs> decay. I used to never quite get the decay one. It seemed, well, you know, I'm not rotting on this in my shoes right now. Well, that's actually not true. The systems that are breaking down, I really, I have discovered, and it may be from the brain surgery when they made the big hole in my head, but my sense of smell is really way less than it was. In fact, I, I went out, I had a fancy dinner not so long ago, and I thought, why get this fancy food? The best part of the dinner was the salad dressing. The other, the, the fancy this is and that's, without, a, without the sense of smell, they're just texture. That's interesting. I'm, I'm gonna think I'm gonna try to be more careful with what I order, which is I think I like to order things that I can taste. Sickness, old age, decay, and then there's death. So what's the point? Really? I'm also discovering in the term dukkha, unsatisfactory, that which is difficult to bear, Stress, as Achan uh, Tanisiro says. Nothing really quite does it, I discover. I have tried and tried and tried and tried, but even the most pleasant things come and disappear like that. Poof, gone. My daughter Tara, the traveler, takes after her father. She'll be home, she'll be home, the 20th, I guess, she gets home from New York. And she'll be here three or four days. And then she's going to do, go quarantine herself uh, with friends uh, on their land and spend a couple of weeks or two weeks, three weeks there and then look for work. But she may wind up going somewhere else to travel again, to teach, to, to be a nurse again. There's no landing and permanence. It's coming and going. So there's a point I want to get to here. Again, there's a polarity. On the one hand, there's these practices that lead us to accepting, 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 relaxing, opening, till we realize everything's really okay. Because None of this is permanent. It's, it's, there are those who say, we wake up from sleep, we wake up from a dream in sleep and we're awake. And then there's another waking up, which is to wake up from the fact that this too is a dream. There's nothing permanent. But I did a, a Tibetan exercise years ago now, 
they had us very carefully write down or think about a thing, a memory of something that happened in the last two weeks. And then to write down the details of a particular memory of a particular dream that we had. And then to take them both into meditation and realize there's no difference between either of them. They're both a fantasy, their story in the present moment, and they're gone, or they're present when we think of them. So I believe it, I believe it, I certainly, I practice this. Before I went on my little camping trip, my four-day four retreat, as it turned out, I was very contracted. Um, a lot of tension, taking things very, pretty seriously. Uh, I couldn't enter a state of ease with much depth. And then I did my retreat and I spent a lot of time just being and meditating and there was some sadness and some anger and, and more and more opening and some good sleep and then rest. And then it became clear to me again, I don't know how to say this, but um, the, the deep sense that, that everything really is okay. There isn't a problem. The world is as the world is, and it's always been strife and conflict and war and class struggle and racial catastrophes. And, uh, and um, on one pole, the pole of liberation. To be able to tune our consciousness to the place where it's okay to relax is a great freedom. It is the great freedom. I'm reminded, I lost this, uh, I had an old VHS videotape of, uh, probably exists, I should look for it. Daniel Ellsberg and Ramdas were set to have a series of three 90-minute conversations uh, about activism and anti-nuclear work and so on. And they got to a place in the first session where Ramdas and Daniel Ellsberg was very intense. And um, he's the fellow who released the Pentagon Papers. And... Um, Ramdas said something like, it went something like this. So Daniel, I can see you know, you're really intense and, and angry about this. Well, it's very important to me to be able to, to acknowledge the perspective where the people in the White House are us. We're all one. And if all the nuclear weapons were set off all at once, and it would be the end of the uh, end of humanity, what's wrong with that? And poor Daniel Ellsberg just totally flipped out, and and they ended very soon thereafter, and they never did the other two sessions because it was not within his capacity to imagine, to 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 even to have that thought. One, one more thought on that side was um, uh, 
I forget the context, but it, there's a, an old minister. Uh, who, Yeah, can't remember a long time ago. An old minister who said uh, something similar. He said, "Well, you know, I've been, <clears throat> I've been a minister for a large congregation for thirty-five years, and I have buried <clears throat> hundreds and hundreds of people. And sometimes I think, maybe, what if they set off the bombs? And what if we all died in one flash? We're all going to go anyway, and." might it not be a relief to all go together? <laughs> I mean, these are heretical thoughts, but they speak to a certain truth. So that's one polarity, the, the polarity of liberation. And there's another polarity, which is here I am, here you are, here we are in our lifetime. And how shall we behave? How, sh how shall we um, comport ourselves? What shall we do to make life more livable for ourselves and other people and to, to, to create a more just and caring society and uh, what shall we do to prepare ourselves to create a, a body-mind, to create a personality or a structure within ourselves that actually is capable of waking up, to, to have the realization of our uh, freedom? Oh, this was a, a different moment in time. <laughs> Jennifer has a little action figure of Bernie. So, way back 2,600 years ago, the Buddha appeared, brilliant fellow, did a lot of personal exploration and discovered a way home. He discovered a way to freedom. And he then spent the rest of his life teaching that, 40 some years. And he wasn't engaged in politics, though he did consult with kings and, and uh, he, did, he did try to intervene in wars. There was one story of a war where the city of his birth was completely devastated. 60 to 80,000 people killed um, because of his family of origin had sent a, a commoner to a cousin as a, as a young girl bride rather than a princess. And so this guy took it seriously and went insane. So what the Buddha taught was the Eightfold Path. A way to face what's happening in our lives so that we can live much more happily and with less stress. And also that when we act in the, in for, in the forms of activism, we actually do more good than harm. So I want to talk today about the aspect of the Eightfold Path, which is wise effort. And there are so many efforts we can do. We can effort to become physically fit. 
weekend effort to stay flexible, which is a good thing. These are good things. We can effort to become, we, we could effort and become great scholars of the Pali Canon, which would have some good benefits to it. We can effort and develop um, various intellectual skills. We can develop political skills. We could effort to become very uh, active in terms of uh, the activist approach. And, and we could effort to any number of meditation strategies. We could effort to learn how to leave our bodies. <laughs> There's a fellow on, this happened two or three times with Ruth and my times with her, fellow who, who reported that during the meditation he left is he, I left my body and I was in the corner room. He went over and she went over and it was like, she, she didn't do this really, but it was like she took him by the ear and said, left your body, left your body. Can you get into your body for 30 seconds and stay there? We can, we can do meditations of tremendous visualizations and fantasies and things. But what the Buddha taught was there are some efforts that are really crucial for living a happy life and for setting ourselves free ultimately. And they are the efforts to, and I've got a, I've got a picture here. If I, oh, I forgot a piece, hang on. Let's go back to this first. Before I go to the wise effort, I wanna to go to this sharing my screen, boom. Have you got the droplet? I can't tell here what is highlighted. Somebody tell me, please. It's, it hasn't engaged. It just says Robert has started screen sharing. Oh, it's trying now. How about now? There's the droplet. <clears throat> okay. I'm me. I love to be me. I've got to be me. <laughs> the song of the self. I, I, me, me, mine, mine. This is a self-portrait, and it's the self-portrait of each of us. And we take this very seriously, and we must, because we are here, we're born in these separate bodies. But what's really true about this? It's only here for a nanosecond, and then it will go plop back into the all. What if during this lifetime, we can do something or, or some things and not do some things which will, what's the word, uh, potentiate having the experience in this lifetime of being this rather than this. That's, that's the journey, I think. And there isn't much, there isn't, there certainly is next to nothing in popular culture that emphasizes, hey, Let's train the mind such that we can really recognize our complete interbeing. There's some, but it isn't, it isn't certainly what's taught in, in school very much. So, wise effort. First, let me maybe just put this up here for a moment. Oop. I wish this was clear to me, which it has. Does this have a wise effort up now, or does it have? That's back to the black screen. <clears throat> what? 
It says Robert Beatty has started screen sharing. Ah, it's slow, okay. Huh. How about that? Oh, how about now? Eightfold path. Okay, thanks, Jim. So just to give you some orientation, there are the eight facets of the Eightfold Path, wise view, worldview, intention, speech, action, livelihood, wise effort. It's part of the meditative component of the Eightfold Path. And then wise effort. Have you got wise effort now, Jim? Not yet. Oh. Sharing, oh, bring your shared window to the front. Okay, I'm going to stop share. <laughs> this program is helpful, but not perfect. Okay, I think that might have it now. Wise effort. Yay, okay. So, wise effort. There, the, 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 mm, the Buddhist model says it's it's kind of like a gardening model what will set us free is training the heart mind training our capacity to be conscious and then to break it down so that it becomes more it becomes more uh, workable there are tools one of which is wise effort that's, that, and it's suggested that there are four essential wise efforts. There is the effort to, I can make this bigger. Oops. The effort to un eliminate unwholesome mental states. So we're in meditation, we are, restrain, we are restraining and eliminating certain states. The effort to keep unwholesome states from arising, they're not always there. And the, the effort is to prevent them. The effort to bring wholesome states into being. And once they're in existence, to maintain these wholesome states. And I'm sorry to those of you on YouTube that you can't see these. I don't have the technology to make that happen yet. Okay. Could you just say that again uh, for the YouTube folks, those four options? The four options? of keeping you know keeping yep. unwholesome yep i'm gonna i'm gonna go through them in, in significant depth here as, oh, okay. as well so the four options are i'm gonna come back to you for a moment It'd be nice to be in the same room this is <laughs> so this mind is pretty wild how's yours it can get filled with the five hindrances. It can get filled with stories about how life is and how I'm a victim and this and that. And it, and, and it can get angry and, and uh, full of self-pity and it can do all these things. And the, the essence of this teaching is that none of these mental states are who we are. These are filters that can put in front of that which we are, and then we wind up in our personality taking them very seriously. So, four efforts. First, when you notice that some unwholesome, un, some mental state based in greed, 
hatred or ignorance, when one of those is in the ascendance, restrain it. If you're angry, you don't have to act out. You don't have to harbor that anger. It's not about repress it, don't have it, but it's um, notice it. Oh, that's what's, this is what's happening in the weather. I think I can maybe take a step toward being less identified with this. So we restrain unwholesome states. That's the first. The second one is once they're restrained, we do our best to keep them from, from bursting out again. And then the other one is to bring into being wholesome states, to, to plant the plants you want. And then to, once they blossom, to keep them going, to, to really take care of them. Um, it really is a gardening metaphor. And we are an ecological system. Our body mind is subject to, this, to the rules of the universe and they are ecological. So I want to go through the list here and see if that, I hope this is helpful. Okay. So I want to get rid of this one or go to this one. Eliminate unwholesome states. And I'm going to pop this open. Did that open? I think it did. All right. We develop as we meditate I like this here, a keen sense of the danger of unwholesome thoughts. They keep us entangled in suffering. So as we begin, as our meditation opens up the capacity to perceive what's happening, we practice mindfulness and there are antidotes to unwholesome states. I'm not gonna go there for now, or we can ignore them. We can turn the mind away from thoughts that are stimulating the thoughts and feelings we can replace unwholesome states with their opposites. If we're, if we're uh, let's say we're, we're, we're very busy, lost in desire of some kind, maybe, maybe sensual, sexual desire, um, we can reflect on the impure nature of the body. <laughs> the, the, um, all we have to do is reflect upon the object of sexual desire minus a mere quarter inch of skin, or that's very Buddhist, uh, or uh, reflect on the liver, for instance. If we're, if we're caught up in anger and ill will, we can reflect upon love. If we're in, caught up in restlessness and agitation and worry, we can focus on simple meditation objects and calm the mind down. If we're in sloth and torpor, we can look into a bright light or imagine a bright light or walk or resolve. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put some energy into this. And the antidote for doubt is good friends. And lastly, we meet the unwholesome thought in face-to-face -face combat. <laughs> now, I hope I'm not trying to cover too much here, but I want to come, I'll come back to you for a second. How about restless, we'll just take restless ag restlessness, agitation, and worry. Do you worry? Some of us are really caught up in worry. What about worry? Well, we can use substances and maybe worry less for a few minutes. Um, 
we can distract ourselves, or we can go into meditation and we can use our breath at, to develop a home base, concentration spot, and then we can time and again snip the worry. Worrying, thank you for sharing, back to the breath. Worrying, thank you for sharing, back to the breath. Worrying, thank you for sharing, back to the breath. Or let's say it's anger or greed. We can snip, 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 snip. And we're learning how to not take them so seriously that we don't have to act on the basis of them. Could you give me a nod? Is that making sense as a strategy? Yeah, okay. So that's one of the reasons we meditate, which is to learn how to restrain unwholesome states. And people often say, oh, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I didn't have a very good meditation. Or, or uh, usually it said, I, ha I had a good meditation today, which means that it was calm and quiet and pleasant. Well, that's true. It's very, it's, those, are, those are good meditations. But on the other hand, there are those times when you're, when you're struggling hard to keep your seat, and maybe there's a whole lot of sadness coming up or something, and we learn how to keep our seat. And every time we awaken to the fact that we're in one of those, quote, unwholesome states, it's another moment of freedom from it. Okay, going back in. And this is, is by necessity a rather quick view through this. Keeping unwholesome states from arising, they're not always there. The effort to prevent them. And this is a very interesting piece of the practice. It's called guarding the senses. And let's say you're sitting in meditation and the mind has been quite restless. And in fact, it's becoming less restless now. It's, it's becoming calmer. And in fact, uh, it gets to being quite quiet. To simply abide there with the breath and notice when the mind begins to turn toward a worry or toward a desire. And so in guarding the senses, we notice when the when which any of the five hindrances are beginning to emerge and they're very easy to snip and we're watchful over the senses and we watch we watch our internal responses to sense experiences so we become a person who can modulate what happens with the mind because of our meditation and there's another one here avoiding the triggers um, if, uh, it, it <laughs> I bought a, um, a package of mother's taffy biscuits yesterday, actually. And, uh, it wasn't a wise move because I love those things. And if, if you don't want to eat mother's taffy biscuits, don't have them in the house. <laughs> and that's true with all kinds of things that we can, we can structure our lives such that we don't have to, uh, be, we won't be overwhelmed by our compulsions and addictions if we simply don't have them around. So this is about 
coming back to you. This is about learning to calm, learning to calm the mind to be in the present and be satisfied and stable. And then unwholesome thoughts will, will arise. Greed, hatred, and ignorance will come marching in. The neurotic patterns will come marching in. However, if we've developed a mind which can be somewhat calm and present, then we can nip them in the bud. Going back in. How's my time? Oh, good. I think I can do this. <laughs> Eliminate the wholesome, keep wholesome. Uh, okay. Bring wholesome states into being. What are the wholesome states? Here's the seven enlightenment factors. Mindfulness, curiosity, persistence, joy, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. Bringing love, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity, the Brahma Viharas into being. Cultivating patience, generosity, wisdom, morality, truthfulness, and renunciation. Wholesome states. So, you know, we call this the practice of mindfulness. We're bringing into being mindfulness and concentration, and we're curious about it, and we do this with persistence, and joy and tranquility and equanimity emerge. So we are cultivating these wholesome states, and we are learning to uproot and suppress these unwholesome states. And then once wholesome states come into being, ma maintain them and, and stabilize them. Stabilize, oh no, what does this do if I click on this, I wonder. I haven't, haven't been in this one for a long time. I don't think it's doing anything. I'm gonna stop sharing back. So that was rather quick on the wholesome states. I wanna tell you a story. I always think of it when I talk about skillful effort. So a long time ago, 10 years, I was on my way to visit my daughter Tara when she was in college in uh, California. And I woke up feeling bad, yucky. And I got to the airport and I think I had a coffee and I got on the little plane and then I sort of fell asleep and went into a sort of a reverie. And when I, when I woke up, I was in this loving kindness state. Everyone was so beautiful. And my heart was so open. I felt so grateful that the pilot was up in the cabin and in the, in the cockpit. And, and I got to uh, Fresno, I think, where I had to change planes. And as I got off the plane, I had a fantasy that I was going to go inside. I'd bought a Time magazine. And I thought, I'm gonna go in and read Time magazine, which I rarely do. But then I got into the airport and I was in this incredibly positive state. And so I realized, wait, I've, I've stumbled into a very beautiful loving kindness state. Why not maintain it? And so I spent two hours walking through the airport, careful that I didn't offend people because you could you know, <laughs> you'd look at them with great love and they might, might under, misunderstand. Um, but I had two hours of that and, and it persisted more. And I got to, um, to where I was going. And uh, it was just a marvelous loving kindness experience that I persisted in. And I further developed it as during that time. 
And then on the way home, I was looking, I was anticipating, hoping that same experience would happen, but it had been a challenging time in the dorm. And uh, on the way home, the grouch was there, contracted and uh, looking at the airport, all these people competing for my seat. And, and it was so clear though, that it was a mental state. And so then I got, I went to my spot, sit, sat down, and then I did the practice of restraining that, that irritability and that, uh, this, that judgmentalism and coming back to my breath and doing loving kindness meditation, su supplanting it, su replacing it with something else. Now, one thing that people often misunderstand with this is, oh, well, this is about repression. Don't have those bad feelings. And it's not that because you know, one also turns toward, let's say you're feeling depressed or angry or hurt or judgmental to have a stability enough of, of have enough stability in your mindfulness of breathing and awareness, then you can turn toward those feelings of anger, irritability, hopelessness, despair, etc., and really open into them and feel them, feel them. Where do they exist in the body and open into them more and more and more and more and more. And then as we develop skill with this, we discover that they're not personal. They're just the weather. That's that other pole we move toward. So on the one hand, we're shaping our personality, we're working with our wholesome and unwholesome states. And on the other, we're simply relaxing into it and letting it be what it is. So I'm hoping that this quick run through with this gives you a sense of the uh, strategy, I guess it is, and the efficacy of having this toolbox of understanding of skillful effort. And so we're not just sitting down, I'm going to meditate now and I'm going to make myself calm. That's a great, that's, those are great training wheels. That's a great way to begin. But the goal isn't to learn how to be calm all the time. The goal is to learn how to be present with whatever's happening and then to make skillful choices toward the direction I want to go. What do I want to, what do I want to evolve into? And we're not, I'm living proof that we're really not stuck with the wounded, contracted, freaked out person that we came out of our family of origin with. And that we can over time become more loving and more kind and more generous, still neurotic, still human, but we can, we can become more, um, we can become better farmers and we can determine the crop that we want to cultivate. And just to tie it into an, another thread, which is if we want to be, if we want to practice activism and to, to confront some of the, the inequities and um, I don't, know, I don't know what to call planetary climate change, but to, to confront some of the problems, that, to, take, to take a stand and work with some things, to do it from a place where we also simultaneously are working with our own consciousness to become more loving and have more equanimity. 
then we can be effective in our activism and also leave behind us a trail of more goodness rather than our shadow side acting out. So there. <laughs> That's the best quick portrait of that I can pull out for today. I hope it's helpful. And I'm open to questions, comments. Thank you for listening. It was a lot. Skillful effort. Robert, this is Jim. Hello, Jim. Uh, you weren't here, you were on retreat, but it's really interesting to me to think back over the uh, speakers that the group has heard in the last week. Mm -hmm. <laughs> One of them talked about, Doyle talked about guarding the senses, <laughs> which is part of your uh, effort description. I talked about eliminating fear. <laughs> that was eliminating unwholesome things and, and not repressing it, but welcoming it. And, and understanding it. And then uh, Gary went uh, into love as one of those uh, factors that you could maintain with this uh, technique and this opening and this opening. And then uh, when Candle spoke, she just went right back to the core and said, uh, uh, I, I would like to investigate suffering. But the way she did it was not with a, uh, a grasping, constricted mind, but a gentle probing here, gentle probing there, that suffering appeared. And so it all fit together into the, the, the arms of your talk tonight, today. So. <laughs> How in, you suppose we're teaching the same model? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Hey, Robert, I got a little overwhelmed by the sheer volume, and I wanted to ask, when you said the first under wise effort is to <clears throat> eliminate unwholesome states, you said states based on greed, and then I couldn't. Ah, you, you've seen that. Uh, I have a, a Tibetan tanka in my office. You, you may not remember. There's, it's, there's a beautiful art piece that I bought in, in Kathmandu, and it has the 12 steps of dependent origination. At the center of it, there's a picture of a rooster, a snake, and a pig. And they are representative of the, the forces that drive samsara, the, the realms of birth and death. And they are greed, hatred, and ignorance. And greed is the I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. And hatred is the I don't want, I don't want, I don't want. And ignorance is uh, I, I take these desires of wanting and not wanting to be a self. And, and I, I also, I, I, I ignore the fact that everything's impermanent and there's no way that I can find a place of stability with greed. I mean, I, I, I it would be so interesting. What, uh, well, what would it be like to talk to Jeff Bezos, Bezos or whatever, and these other 
multi-billionaire people, what are they doing? How utterly absurd to, to hold such wealth and not use it for good. There's a, there's a, there's a madness, there's, a, there's an ignorance there. So those are the, that, that's Thank the three. Thank you for that clarification. Those seem to be pretty core. They are the core. Good, that's what I wanted. And greed, of course, is a whole continuum from I'm sitting here, I want more concentration. I want this to be different. I want, or I want another helping of this food, or I want my partner to be in this particular way, or, uh, or the, the madness of uh, being driven by lust. Um, addictions. Addictions, of course, work both poles because on the aversion side, it's all the way from I don't like this mental state to I don't like this food to um, I don't like this state to such a degree that I really have to alter my state because this state is not bearable. And then we get into the whole addictive cycle. We can make it complicated, but I think at the simplest level, it really is simple and very functional, which is we're gardening. I want to cultivate mindfulness and love and compassion. And I really want to uproot greed, hatred, and ignorance. Robert, this is Martha. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you, Martha. Hi. Um, during this entire session, we live in a very rural area, and or fairly rural area. And during this entire session, um, which um, which is not uncommon, especially on sun beautiful Sunday mornings. Could could um, you move a little closer to your microphone, my dear? It's kind of faint. Yeah. So, um, can you hear me better That's now? Better. Perfect. Okay. Um, we live in a semi-rural area. Um, uh, that is a pretty diverse white, diverse white area. Um, and it's not uncommon on Sunday mornings for people to sort of celebrate their freedom with um, target practice. And during this entire <laughs> session, uh -huh. there's been somebody about, I don't know, three quarters of a mile away shooting off uh, um, semi-automatic weapon and it's been um this constant trigger for me you know and i'm trying to just kind of feel my response to it um and um anyway i remember that you mentioned on your retreat that you experienced a lot of um of the same thing and i i just would love for you to speak to it a little bit because it's so if there's nothing that can be done you know, no. I, we, it's legal, it's, but it's, to me, it's so symbolic of so much that I, um, that brings me incredible grief, you know, about the state of the world. And it's gotten much worse in the, in 
this time. You know, it's bringing out everyone's fear and right. So there it is. Hmm. I had such an urge to hug you just then. You said you said something really very important in that. That those sounds, that pop 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 pop, pop sound, uh, is symbolic of so much that's problematic right now and always. And and it's not that the sound is symbolic of that; it's that your mind makes a symbolic meaning of it, because. As a sound, it's just a sound. But it is the sound of an AR-15, probably. And um, where I was uh, outside Estacada, there was also machine gun fire. People have, you know, altered these devices. And, and um, so what happens? When that happens, there's a thought process, which is, I don't like it. I wish it would stop, and it's symbolic of this and that and the other. And so the, uh, the, the, there's mental proliferation, we would call it papancha, that, that turns it into, it's very upsetting. And it can be, a, different individuals um, I don't want to get too far afield here, but in the year 2000, I fell in the mountains and I ruptured my quadriceps tendon on my right leg, completely tore it off my kneecap. And I was rescued uh, by the army in a Black Hawk helicopter. And actually on my robertbd.com website, there's a little article called uh, The Swish of a Horse's Tail. Fortune changes like the swish of a horse's tail, which I wrote about that experience, which is worthy of reading. And anyway, my association with helicopters is I love them. This helicopter came up over the ridge and came, they lowered, lowered this terrific young man down. He stuck me in the thing, pulled me up and took, I was in the hospital in 20 minutes. It was incredible. Uh, if I were a villager, maybe my age, uh, if I had been a villager in Vietnam and these helicopters came in and killed my family, there's no way I could hear a helicopter without it being scary and maybe have anger. And so it depends upon our conditioning as well. And 45 years ago, 40 years ago, I went to India with my then, my first wife. We took 25 students with us. Uh, for a five-month uh, educational journey in India. Part of that was she had asked each young person, would you do a 10-day retreat? And they agreed. And we went to Bodhgaya, right? The sacred center of Buddhism. The night we pulled up, there were big trucks. And the, the Metro Circus came to Bodhgaya. And it was across the street from the meditation center. And from... Seven in the morning till two in the morning, they played five or seven different Indian show music tunes. And they had a, a piece of railway iron that they had on a, a cable and a ball peen hammer and they held the microphone. Ding, 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 ding. And this was our 10 day retreat with these beginning meditators. And it drove us insane. Two of the guys came back over the wall from the outside and they said they had found the central power supply and they knew how to disable it. And 
And uh, I had images of going out there and blowing them away with a shotgun, shooting the speakers. Um, and it, what it did for me, however, was it inured me to sound. That sound became sound and my reactivity to it became my reactivity to it. And I was very gr grateful for that in the mountains because I wasn't troubled by the shooting at all. When I thought about it, I, I, I mean, it's, 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 it's so tragic. Those, those men, I think they were all men, um, they go into the, into the woods that are so beautiful and they see nothing except targets and imagine this and that. And, and they're, they're wasting their time, their beautiful, precious life. They're learning how to, to kill whoever they're imagining the enemy to be. And I've done a little target practice decades ago, and it's kind of neat. It's fun to be precise, and it's a skill. And, but all of this is a long way around to saying to hear it as sound. It's, it's guarding the senses. To hear it as sound and to notice what the mind does in papancha. And that's where we set ourselves free of realizing that the papancha is not personal. It's just the mind creating images and stories. And I would suggest, I used to do this when I had small children. Um, I would wear, you know, those wax uh, earplugs? Wax earplugs. And then I, I got some really good construction earphones because sometimes the sound outside is so triggering that it's just too much and so then you can create some silence for yourself in that way is that is that making sense i covered a lot of ground there but it's 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 just sound yeah yeah it's making sense, especially, yeah, just the just sound part is, I guess I, I'm sort of, you know, I go into investigating my response to it, you know, and the sort of the suffering that comes along with that. And, um, That's a place where it's so useful to just, it's the world being the world. It's the, sometimes when we've done all we can, to be in our activist role, in our role of generosity, supporting charities, in our, when we've done everything we can and the world remains awful. There is another option, which is to realize, ah, this is the way of the world. This is samsara, this is dukkha. Samsara is broken. And there's no fixing it. And do, am I going to suffer and bash my head against that? Or will I realize, oh, this is, I take refuge in the Dharma. And this is the way it is. And it's a dream. So we don't do that prematurely. People who do that prematurely are, you know, they kind of live in la-la land. But to do everything we can responsibly uh, I mean, wouldn't it be nice to change the laws so that they can't be shooting automatic weapons on Sunday morning? That'd be really nice. Good luck with the Second Amendment in the end. It's like a religion in the U.S. So we, could, we can rail against that and struggle for the rest of our lives, or we can come to peace with it and realize, well, 
that is as it is. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to take too much more time, but I do sort of, I feel like there's this polarity between that and sort of getting, feeling numb, you know. Um, ah. This isn't being numb. Yeah. Yeah. This is being really wide awake and ceasing to be reactive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Robert. You know, there's an, another, another perspective on this. Years ago, um, I had a student whose daughter injured her back and she, uh, she, she got a one of those terrible skin eating infections. I mean, one of those terrible things that come sometimes. And um, my student was, I don't know, a little younger than me, but she was pretty freaked out. And uh, the whole family was freaked out. And then they managed to handle the infection and she survived. And then a year or two later, and I'm not, I'm, no, within the next few months, my student uh, went to the Insight Meditation Society and uh, was there for 18 months where she did a lot of meditation and she was, worked in the kitchen and so on. And uh, she met lots of different teachers and she really got deep into her meditation. And she came back and she was back and the, the daughter had another outbreak of this crazy infection, which is scary to me. And um, this time, however, she had done so much inner work that she could be present and deal with the hysterical response internally. But she didn't, she didn't go to where the family expected her to go to. And they turned on her because they said, you don't love her anymore. You don't love us. Uh, because she wasn't getting all emotionally upset. But it wasn't that she'd gone numb. She'd gone wise. She'd gone awake. She'd gone, she'd gone to realizing, oh, um, she could die of this. And yes, and she will die of something. So therefore, I can love her and be close to her and be very present. But, uh, but the hysterical response that she had, the freaking out, uh, was not helpful. And it was, it was, it was a wonder for me, a wonderful teaching on the power of the practice when it's taken to its depths. Because she was more effective. She was more loving and could make better decisions and which I don't mean to say there isn't a time for decompensating and freaking out and and it's, it's not like it's against that, but to have that as our go-to reaction might mean we want to really look carefully at it. Thank you for the question. Thank you very much. Okay. So 12.08. Anybody else before we go? <laughs> Hello, Robert. This is Patrick. Hello, Patrick. Hello. I'm in my garage. Um, so I have a question that, that deals with the other side of that. Rather than trying to uh, accept sounds and accept stimulus, but more like welcome it and see it as a larger part of a context. And so sometimes when I'm meditating with you on a 
on a weekday morning, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll reach a place of rest and calm within my mind. And then I'll take out my, my little earplugs and I'll think, uh, I'll just gain this wide universal context about where I sit in the universe. I see the sun and the planets and the moon, and then I'm moving into the Western hemisphere and I'm visualizing also my head. And I see the movement of people and the network of traffic and the movements of oceans and currents and just it's spectacular all the movement that's happening in the world and then down to Portland and then down to my little room and I realize that I'm one six billionth of humanity uh, but I exist only on the skin of a little blue dot in a universe that's so huge we don't even know how big it is and I'm we're not even in the middle of it and and gaining that kind of it's like a state of context that I find deeply fulfilling mm -hmm. and is there a place in the Dharma where they talk about that in a little more spiritual terms or am I just totally off the reservation here? <laughs> off the reservation is funny. Um, it's a wonderful visualization. It, it's a visual, it's a oneness sort of visualization. Yeah. And yeah. Okay. All right. I, and sometimes if, if, if you were to, li you know, be careful driving in that state. <laughs> I'll ride up in the ocean. <laughs> well, sometimes you've long talked about uh, sort of a desire to shelter yourself from the news and other people talk about it here. I, I don't want to receive it like an open spigot, but I don't think that it's something to, to limit oneself from the world because it is the world. This is the, this is the environment we live in. I, I struggle with that and versus the innate, the, the ornate interior uh, living room that we are setting up within our own beings uh, in this practice. So I struggle with the balance are, between those two things. There, there are people who have anxiety disorders. And there are people who had fathers who were um, capricious, violent, inconsistent, and uh, malicious. And for some of them to turn on the news and to see someone being those things sets off such a response, it is of no help to watch the news. And that's an extreme sort of case. And so if, if, if what we're doing makes it so we cannot remain in balance within ourselves, then removing the uh, irritants can be really important. You have to be in a state of balance before you can consider the larger context. Is that what I'm hearing you saying? Yeah. And, and for, for many of us, I just felt really teary for a moment. Uh, I, I, I want to be careful not to present it as though I've somehow arrived, but there were years, decades, when simply treading water and trying to get my own act together was as much as I could manage. Really, that, that healing my own wounds and, and um, um, learning how to be, to be activist without getting lost 
it, it takes a lot of work to get to, to help ourselves be in that place and we need to help each other with it. But that, that sounds like a lovely visualization. I, I do a loving kindness visualization like that where I open and open and open and, open, and it's lovely. And it, it's, it's real in its own way. Um, and, and it, it to, to root it in mindfulness and being able to be in the present moment with the person you're talking to right now or the task, that's also very important. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This, this whole thing is important to me. Thank you. Great. I, I enjoyed going with it. I'd like to, I enjoyed going with you on it for the few moments you described it. It was nice. <laughs> yeah. And it's true. I mean, the universe is vaster than we can imagine or it's, they pointed the Hubble telescope, I think it was the Hubble, maybe it was one of the radio telescopes, at the darkest place in the Southern Hemisphere where, where there's no stars. What did they find? Billions of galaxies. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. And my toothache is important. Still. <laughs> All right. Anybody else sitting with something before we go? John McClelland, are you really sitting at the beach or is that one of those backgrounds? It looks so nice. It's one of those backgrounds that my son put on and I don't know how to get off. Oh, it, it, it really creates greed in me. I want to be there. Well, Thanks. He's, he's the one to thank. <laughs> I had nothing to do with it. Thanks, brother. Hmm. A warm beach with nothing to do. Well, dear beautiful people, thank you for um, coming today. Just occurred to me, if you have questions, it's not Likely, I could necessarily respond to email questions. I'm so overwhelmed with that kind of thing. But I might be able to bring the questions back to here or to the day, the, the, the morning meditations. So, and I might be able to respond individually sometimes. I don't want to set it up so that I then disappoint people. I hate, I hate doing that. I create these, this sense of easy availability and then I, I get overwhelmed so so thanks for coming i uh i really hope this was helpful and may we all suffer less and therefore be more loving so i see aaron there with a little person shall we do it let's do it Oops, I forget, where, where am I here? Uh, participants, get lost in the controls. Unmuting all, ready? May all be happy. May all be happy.
friends. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Jim. You're welcome. This is the earth. Fun listening in on other people's lives. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Goodbye, dear friends. <laughs> Thank you, Good day. Bye bye. The Portland Insight Meditation Center is a 501c3 nonprofit organization and is funded entirely through donation. If you'd like to give, please visit portlandinsight.org and click the Donate Now button at the top right. Through your generosity, we can continue to offer these teachings, and we are so grateful for your support.